Welcome into the Hodges Huddle. I am your host, Patricia Caputo. Joining me today is Andre Champagne and Liam Haley. How are you all doing? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm good. I'm excited to be here with you all to talk about some sports. Let's jump right into it as LSU defeated Southern University 65-17 to in the historic matchup as both schools have never played each other despite being within a 10-mile radius from each other. What improvements did we see in this offensive side of the ball this week for LSU? Uh, we saw improvements from all sides of the offensive side. Uh, for me, the offensive play calling was the best it's been all season. I mean, that was two games, of course. But they uh, played with the urgency that was missed, you know, from the Florida State game. And uh, I was also pleased with Jaden Daniels. You know, he was nearly perfect that whole game. I like to see him stay in the pocket more um, than he did two weeks ago. And he just used his legs in the best, you know, occasion. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I feel like, you know, instead of scrambling a lot, which he did in uh, FSU, he, I feel like he toned it down a little bit uh, during Southern. You know, there were some plays that, you know, during uh, FSU he, he just would have ran and, you know, he would have got yards, but it wouldn't have been the best play to make. But especially that touchdown to Jack Besh, uh, you know, he stepped up. He could have ran, but, you know, he decided to make the better play and uh, get a touchdown for the Tigers. This offense played a lot better than it did last week against FSU. It did clean up some issues, things like moving some guys around, switching Garrett Dellinger out of center and putting in Charles Turner. And that seemed like a decent fix for now at least, but it's still going to take the guys some time to get used to. But I did love how we did get the the running backs active as Armani Goodwin had two touchdowns for 85 yards. Noah Kane had 51 yards for a touchdown as well. So you always love to see a healthy run pass game, which I think we will develop we're developing now, and especially when John Emery Jr. comes back next week against Mississippi State. Andre, you mentioned Jaden Daniels. How does he fit into this offense and just the culture of LSU in general? Uh, he's, a, he's a leader. He has the most experience, I would say, on the team probably. Um, and he's just – he knows what it takes to win. And he's, you know, he's done this before. Uh, he's a smart guy, and this is really what LSU needed. This guy is really accurate with his throws. I think his completion – rate is just out the roof right now his qbr i think he leads the sec in qbr yes. besides yeah he does um what's his name uh from tennessee is it hooker oh, yeah mm -hmm. um, and so you know that's that's good company to be in and you know he's doing better than bryce young is mm -hmm. right now so i think you know with Jaden daniels it's only going to get better and, and that's really fun to see if you're an lsu fan especially after you know not having the greatest quarterback after Joe Burrow. So. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. You know, he just uh, – he, he seems like a great leader, even though it's only, you know, been two games into the season. Uh, I feel like, you know, all the uh, – you know, the, all the receivers trust him, and I know Brian Kelly definitely trusts him, uh, you know, because he said he, he was, you know, giving him compliments to, uh, during the press conference. He was saying, you know, oh, you know, he's one of the best quarterbacks. Uh, he's, you know, he I, I believe it was eight consecutive touchdown drives uh, that, that Brian Kelly mentioned. So – uh, I feel like, you know, the whole team believes in him, and he's a great leader and a great fit for this LSU team. Daniels went 10 for 11 against Southern. He passed up, or threw, rather, 137 yards along with three touchdowns. And he wasn't even in the game much because by the fourth first quarter, we were up by about 35 points, and we had taken him out of the game. So we did get to see some action from guys like Garrett Nussmeyer and Walker Howard. What do we like about them? What were some of our dislikes that we had about each quarterback? I didn't like what I saw from Nuss very much, uh, especially in the first half. I think he saw that Daniels was just playing out of his mind. And, uh, you know, when a backup quarterback sees that, they're going to go in the game thinking, look, I have to I have to go do some crazy, you know, stuff and I have to go make a play that, you know, where something comes from nothing. But he did pretty much the opposite of that. He threw interceptions. You know, he gave Southern pretty much their only points of the game. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I really want to see what Nussmeyer can do. But, you know, like Andre said, I feel like he was trying to do too much because, you know, he gets his chance and he thinks, okay, well, you know, I got to do something just like he was saying. And, you know, he had some great throws. I remember he had uh, one pretty big throw uh, later in the game. And, uh, you know, that, that showed off his actual talent and, you know, like his his confidence in taking those big plays. But, I mean, if you do a big play every time then or if you try to do that every time, then something's going to go wrong at, at some point. So, um, you know, especially with that, uh, I think there was a 94-yard pick six that happened just because mm -hmm. he was trying to do something and he threw it into a bunch of Southern defenders. And, you know, when you throw it to the other team, it's just nothing good's going to happen. So, Right now, I'm not saying that he can't improve in the future, but right now it is clear that he cannot be a starting quarterback. That 
quarterback battle that we discussed where possibly Garrett Nussmeyer does come in for Jaden Daniels that time. Doesn't look like it's ever going to happen after I saw Garrett Nussmeyer. He threw two interceptions, as Liam mentioned, a costly, not costly, but a pick six. Just you saw the inexperience that he had as a quarterback, whereas Jaden Daniels playing at Arizona State previous to coming to LSU has that experience where he can be comfortable in the pocket. He knows how to lead a team. And Garrett Nussmeyer, he just looked messy, to be honest. And again, it's not to say that he won't improve. I believe he will improve. But right now, when you have an experienced guy like Jaden Daniels, you have to go with him and there's no need for Garrett Nussmeyer. As for Walker Howard, we saw him a little bit. What I liked is his mobility. He did use his legs. I didn't love it in that moment because, again, there's just not a need for to risk any sort of injury in a guy like Walker Howard. But I did like to see the mobility that this LSU quarterback room could have in the future, just as we may have with Jaden Daniels right now. Yeah, I think, I mean, he's going to only play probably another game. He's getting redshirted. Right. So. Yes, I agree. From the jump, that was most likely going to happen. His father, Walker Howard's dad, was very on board with that, that they expect him to redshirt and possibly be with this LSU program for the next three or four years. LSU will take on Mississippi State this week in Tiger Stadium. And now, as we mentioned, we did fix a lot, but there's also still a lot of holes. And while we didn't have any muff punts this week, Malik Neighbors also did not return any punts. Do we expect him to return punts this week against Mississippi State? I mean, if you didn't see it last week, you're not going to see it next week. I think Gregory Clayton's just going to keep that job, uh, you know, what he did last week. He did he did well, so caught the ball, and it's really your only job. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see him play, but, you know, because I know what he can do at the position, and I, and I truly believe that, you know, the FSU game was a fluke for him, but – you know, those special teams plays did lose us the game. And, you know, I was I was surprised he wasn't out there against Southern since, you know, it's a lower stakes game. It's not some game where you you really have a chance of losing. So I feel like, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, maybe Brian Kelly would get him in and be like, okay, let's see, you know, how, he, how he's going to do, you know, and see if he's like back to what he usually can do. But, you know, like Andre said, if he didn't get in against Southern, he's definitely not getting it again uh, against any other team because every other team we play is going to be better than them. So What Brian Kelly had said during the press conference right after the game is that he gave Malik Neighbors a week off and that they're going to try it again this week. I have, just similar to you all, a hard time believing that because why would you not put him in a game like Southern that you were nearly guaranteed a win and then you're going to throw him into practically the Pacific Ocean in a team like Mississippi State? They're 2-0. They're still an SEC team. There's just a big talent difference between those two teams. And I have, I have just trouble believing that Malik Neighbors is going to be out there this Saturday. So I do agree with you all. And as I've mentioned this plenty of times before, I believe I even said this in last week's podcast, it's not necessarily an issue if you have a guy like Clayton returning punts and Malik Neighbors out there on kick returns. That's okay as long as it fits our team and we don't make costly mistakes, especially in SEC play. And as LSU prepares for this game, Mississippi's coming in to – Tiger Stadium on Saturday, undefeated. They defeated the Arizona Wildcats. They also defeated the Memphis Tigers. And what what are we expecting from LSU week? Who or what should we preparing be preparing for in this Mississippi State team? Yeah, LSU is going to face a tough challenge this week, but you know, thankfully they are at home, which is going to be a pretty big advantage. Uh, Miss State's a really experienced team that's played for a while together, so they they're not really going to make many mistakes. We're going to have to make them. Uh, LSU needs to prepare for the air raid offense. You know mm-hmm. that Mike Leach runs uh, during the COVID year. I don't. I'm sure y'all remember Mike Leach torched us uh, with the air raid, and we did way better last year of limiting that. But uh, I think Brian Kelly's way smarter than Ed Orgeron, so I'm. You know, I think it's going to be better than last year. So, but for our cornerbacks, they're going to have to be sharp at all times. Going to have to be con- really conditioned when they're throwing 49. 50 times a game, and then just discipline. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking the exact same thing. They just got to prepare for their passing attack. Now, I mean, it's not to say that they can't run, but, uh, you know, like Andre said, they do have an air raid offense. So, uh, you know, they can take the top off any defense if you don't prepare enough. So, um, according to Brian Kelly back in the press comments on Monday, uh, we could be getting help back in the secondary with seven banks. Uh, but, you know, it's still because he was 90% for the Florida State game, but it was just all up in the air. And, you know, if you're 90% for the Florida State game, you're not going to play the Southern mm-hmm. game because why would you? Um, so, I mean, that would help. But we're also uh, without Joe Fouché. Um, so, I mean, it's going to be a long day for a secondary if you don't prepare, but I'm pretty sure Brian Kelly's going to prepare them for that. Correct. And to add on to that, Liam, B.J. Ojolari will be rejoining the team this 
this week as he did sit out last week against Southern. If I'm LSU, I'm looking out for Will Rogers. As you said, that air raid offense, Mississippi State's quarterback, just to throw some stats out there, against Arizona on September 10th, he threw 39 for 49, 313 yards, and four touchdowns. And then against the Memphis Tigers, which was their first game of the season, he he went... 38 of 49 for 450 yards and five touchdowns. You know this Mississippi State offense. You know that they love to throw the ball. That's something you have to look out for. And hopefully with Ojolari coming back, with Gay, who now will be able to play a full game, and even Makai Wingo, who showed out against Southern, they'll be able to get to the quarterback and get through this offensive line because that seems like a key way to stop this offense and this Mississippi State team in general. LSU, we saw two very drastically different games. One against FS State where we had – Florida State, rather, where we just had a lot of holes in our offense and our defense and the team in general. And then we saw Southern where we were very, very dominant. What team did we get out of LSU this weekend? Uh, obviously, we better hope it's this weekend. The one from this weekend, uh, you know, it's it's not going to be as dominant, of course. Uh, Jaden Daniels just needs to keep being consistently good, make good decisions. You know, secondary needs to do their job and, you know, defending, you know, the air raid. And they're going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And like Andre said, I hope we see the Southern LSU because if we see the FSU LSU, we're we're definitely not about to win this game. Uh, I mean, whenever we're playing Southern, we were in more of a hurry-up offense that we started to do at the end of the FSU game, which in both cases worked really well for us. Um, you know, we got out fast and they couldn't keep up with us. So I feel like if we play the same way and, you know, we get Kayshawn more touches because he only got a couple during the Southern game since, you know, we ran away with it so fast. And, you know, with Emory returning to the lineup, I feel like, you know, with him getting touches as well, we're going to have enough offense to beat them. And uh, if our defense gets prepared enough, we should be able to stop them. I see us being in between and finding a middleman from both of these games. We have John Emory Jr. coming back, but he also hasn't played in two years. Brian Kelly has already warned us, in a sense, to go east on him. Don't expect a whole lot. I expect Armani Goodwin to be starting at least on the first series and then possibly John Emory Jr. take on the rest of the load for the game. The offensive line still did have struggles. There was two false starts, and those were due to snap and fractures, and that's just because guys like Charles Turner didn't have time to develop with Jaden Daniels because you thought that Garen Dellinger might be at center. But now you are supposed to have at least a more solid offensive line, at least five guys that you believe you're going to go through with for the rest of the season. So hopefully they're able to clean up some of that in practice. And talking about just amazing games, let's discuss this Saints and Falcons game where – it, we just, it was the unexpected. Liam and I were doing the show, and Liam said it would just happen to the Saints that they would come back and then lose. But they didn't. They came back, and they won. And unfortunately for Falcons fans, they choked again. How did Jameis Winston coming back from an injury along with Michael Thomas Jr. look? Yeah, for both guys, the first half was, you know, really shaky because, you know, the offensive line was getting dominated yeah. the whole first half. Mm-hmm. And Jameis got sacked four times, I think, just in the first half alone. But uh, Michael Thomas picked up right where he left off from, you know, from about two years ago as he had two t- two touchdowns, and they were both really clutch, like, to, mm-hmm. you know, come back. But Jameis was near perfect in the second half. Um, you know, he made his throws, did what he had to do, uh, made good decisions, and, uh, you know, that's what you want to see. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, uh, whenever I was watching the game, uh, you know, Jameis and Michael Thomas both looked, you know, I, I feel the same way. They looked shaky. Like, they, they didn't look terrible, but they just looked kind of off in, in a way. Um, but, you know, in, in the fourth quarter, uh, I feel like, you know, especially they both went off. Uh, I mean, Jameis went to the medical tent, and then he came out, and he became prime Drew Brees. I don't know what happened. <laughs> uh, he had a perfect QB rating for the fourth quarter, and he led the Saints uh, from a 16-point deficit in one quarter all the way to the win. Um, uh, again, like Andre said, Michael Thomas had two touchdowns at 57 yards. I mean, if they can look like they did that quarter all season, then we should be set for some great offense from the Saints. Yeah, so Winston also threw for two touchdowns, 269 yards, and I was extremely impressed because I was iffy. I didn't know what we were going to get out of Jameis Winston because he had torn his ACL, because he had that right ankle sprain during the training camp. And you never know what we're going to get, especially after coming off such a a major injury such as that one. And Michael Thomas Jr., I'm extremely impressed because while he did only have 57 yards, as you said, two touchdowns to help lead this team to a victory and stepping right into that leadership role that he was absent from for about two years. And that brings me to my next question of Jarvis Landry because for a while we thought that he might have to take on that leadership role that Michael Thomas had always held. So how is he fitting in this offense, especially now with Thomas back in the mix? 
I think Jarvis Landry is just what this offense really needed, you know, because he's a very physical wide receiver, and that's really what the Saints were missing, you know, when MT was gone. So, I mean, he's going to go up there, and you saw it on Sunday. He went and get one-on-one catches, you know, and he was just jumping, you know, high, catching balls. You know, it was it was awesome to see. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm watching him, and I, I knew what Jarvis Landry could do because I've seen him play in Cleveland and everything. And, uh, you know, Michael Thomas has been, you know, that kind of short yardage receiver, and he can obviously go deep, and he, he's a very versatile wide receiver, but you know him as, you know, more of a short, shorter yardage, like physical wide receiver. And just like Andre said, like, you know, maybe Jarvis would fill that role, and I feel like he's filled maybe like the middle because I feel like Coastal Lave is more of a receiver that can, you know, take the top off of defenses. But um, Jarvis, you know, he actually – he caught a huge pass, you know. I, I think it was a 40-yard pass that set us up for the field goal by Will Lutz. Uh, he had the most yards uh, receiving on the team with 114 on seven receptions. So, uh, you know, whenever he got the ball, he was making plays, and I feel like he's going to be a big part of this offense. Originally, I would say that the Saints brought guys like Jarvis Landry and then drafted Chris Olave because – they didn't know what was going on with Michael Thomas Jr. They didn't know if he would come back and be able to be a leader on this team again, as we were talking about. But now Jarvis Landry and Chris Olave open up this offense that you're not just worrying about Michael Thomas. You got Alvin Kamara. You have to worry about Jarvis Landry, and you have to worry about Chris Olave, which scares defenses. The defensive have to watch a lot more film, and they have to watch a lot of different guys who have a lot of different play styles. To talk about, as we mentioned, Alvin Kamara and the running the running game, Kamara ran for 39 yards on two carries. How did this affect the score, and do we think that if we had Kamara, if the Saints involved Kamara a little bit more, they could have won the game with ease? I mean, I don't. I think that was the Falcons' game plan, which is, you know, limit Kamara. I think that's every team's game plan. But he didn't get many carries because he's got a minor rib injury, um, but he's expected to be okay. But – I think, you know, opening it up, you know, to guys like Mark Ingram and just more in the passing game, you know, Alave really did well. Um, we didn't really see much from, you know, other receivers besides those two other, Michael Thomas and Jarvis. And yeah. Jarvis. So, you know, hopefully we can get some more passes to like Traquan Smith and, you know, other guys. But, I mean, Kamara's going to be fine. Uh, I mean, Kamara, like – yeah, he didn't have the best game, but I mean, you also really can't blame that too much on him. Like, uh, also, you know, he's injured, but also at the same time, our offensive line is missing Trevor Penning. Uh, not to say he was going to come in and be a dominant offensive lineman, but he's definitely a person that could come in and help. So um, I feel like you really just can't all blame it on, oh, it's Alvin Kamara's fault because he didn't play well. I mean, if you're a running back and your offensive line can't block, you really can't do too much. So, um, and, you know, Jameis didn't really look for him in the passing game, which is another huge part of Alvin Kamara's game that um, is like it, – it, that's a whole other facet that, that, to the Saints' offense. So, um, you know, he didn't do that good rushing, but I feel like that didn't affect the game too much because we were damaging with passing anyways. So. so the Saints defeated the Falcons 27-26. to 26, And the Falcons nearly won mostly because of – or because of Marcus Mariota. He was a huge – help to this offense. He threw for 215 yards, went 20 of 33. As Liam said on the Sunday show, he kind of looked like he was back at Oregon in college where he was just throwing bombs down the field. How can former or in the future defenses like the Rams, who they will go on to play, like Seattle, who they will go on to play in the coming weeks, contain a guy like Marcus Mariota? I think it's going to be easier to contain uh, in the coming weeks because we literally had no tape of this guy. He hasn't played in years. And, uh, I mean, the Falcons had a new offense. We didn't know what to expect from the Falcons. And so, you know, I, I think they just need to put a spy on them in the coming future, you know, rush more. If you're a uh, NFL defense, I mean, it's going to be easy to contain no, I mean, him. He plays for the Falcons. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's Marcus Mariota. Like, I'm not trying to say that to be disrespectful, but, I mean, you look at the past couple years of his career, he hasn't been the best quarterback. I mean, he's been riding the bench and uh, for the Raiders and everything. So, I mean, he did look great. Like, in the beginning, he, like I said on the show, he, he looked like he was back at Oregon sometimes, you know, running around, scrambling, making deep passes and just looking great. But, uh, I mean, if he can continue that production, like, he can be a, like a decent quarterback, which would be, you know, albeit very late in his career that people would have thought that he would have been a good quarterback. But uh, for the Rams, I feel like they're going to be able to contain him. They're one of the best defensive teams in the league. And Sparks Mariota and the Falcons, I mean, uh, I really don't think they're too worried about the Falcons. Um, and then, but I mean, the Seahawks, I mean, I feel like it, it's the Falcons versus the Seahawks. So uh, like Marcus Mariota is going to, he's going to do his thing. I feel like it's going to be, 
um, hard for the Seahawks to contain him just because the Seahawks are in the middle of a rebuild. So uh, they're not the absolute also best team. Jamal Adams, too. The also, yes. Yeah, also no. Jamal Adams. So I feel like w- with without him there, I mean, Mark Zimiotis is going to That's he's your gonna pass eat. rusher. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, he's going to be able to run. He's going to do whatever. So The Rams, I agree, even though they did fall apart in week one. So we'll have to see. I don't really wouldn't say that that was the result of the defense, but more of the offense. But Marcus Mariota, we forget that he's only 28. And if you saw Geno Smith last night, who looked pretty good, and he's 31 years old, and he had not started in a week one game since 2014 when he was with the New York Jets. So I wouldn't count Marcus Mariota out so quickly, even though he is with the Falcons and why they did lose guys like Julio Jones. But they do they did just draft Drake London for a reason, and I could see that that being his main target. And Cordell Patterson is always a guy that's extremely underrated and can always help out a team when needed and just always gets like the great touchdowns when need be. Also Kyle Pitts, who they just drafted two years ago. He has weapons, right? So it's not like he's out there by himself. He has weapons. He has what he needs. And I wouldn't count the Falcons and Marcus Mariota. Now, look, are they going to possibly lose games like this very close? Yes, I could see them being similar to what the Chargers were a few years ago where they were like right there, but they just couldn't win enough games. But I I don't think that Marcus Mariota would is the huge problem here. And let's talk about another game, the Cowboys versus the Buccaneers. It was it was as a Cowboys fan, I'll be a little biased right now. It was heartbreaking watching that game. Amari Cooper, just to talk about the the struggles that Dallas faced this offseason as they traded Amari Cooper to the Cleveland Browns. What does he mean for this offense and how did it show against the Buccaneers on Sunday night? I mean, I think he's bigger than a lot of people thought because, I mean, he helped spread the field for the Cowboys so much, and he got most of the attention off of CeeDee Lamb. That's why CeeDee had a really good year last year. But now that most of the attention is focused on CeeDee, you know, he didn't do as well the other night. But also, you know, that's props to the Buccaneers' defense. Their defense is just – it's great. Yeah, I mean – like, uh, like, like Andre said, like he's extremely valuable to the offense, you know, and, w- and, you know, without him, w- they traded him to the Browns for almost nothing. A I bag guess. of chips. <laughs> yeah. Literally just like, a, you know, pack of saltines. I really don't understand why they traded him. But anyways, um, now that he's not there, um, like, you know, almost all the passing game now goes through CD, which, you know, it's, it's, it might be good for his production maybe, but at the same time, if it's all going through him, then it's kind of like what defense have been able to do with Michael Thomas in the past where it, he's the only receiver that, that the Saints would have. So then they, team. It, they would double team him, they would focus him, and then they would have to make the other guys make plays, and they wouldn't. So, you know, there's Dalton Schultz, there's, you know, Michael Gallup, but he's out. So, I mean, this is tough for Dak, even though if, if he wasn't even injured. And, you know, now it's Cooper Rush. So if CD's being locked up, then they have absolutely no passing game. And, you know, even if CD is playing well, Cooper Rush is the quarterback. So it'll be hard to generate too many yards. This season, the Cowboys traded Amari Cooper to the Browns for a fifth-round pick and a swap of six-round picks. So not much. They couldn't afford to keep him, as Jerry Jones mentioned. But I, as a Cowboys fan, I remember how much this offense struggled before Amari Cooper came into the mix. The defenses relied, were, looked strictly at Ezekiel Elliott. Let's get to him. If they were able to contain him. We lost the game. Amari Cooper opened up this offense, and that brings me to CeeDee Lamb of trying to fill his shoes when it's difficult because CeeDee Lamb has never had to be a leader in the NFL. He always had Amari Cooper. You also had Michael Gallup, who won't be back to about week four or week six, depending on when he can heal up in time. And now CeeDee Lamb has to take on that role, and he doesn't have another guy on the other side. Even we lost Wilson this year to the Miami Dolphins, who he signed a huge contract with them. And you don't you have all of the these new wide receiver cores, and the only familiarity was Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb. And now Dak Prescott is gone for what Jerry Jones said today, at least four weeks, but it could be till week 10 against the Packers because he had to get surgery on his right hand. So can CeeDee Lamb fill the shoes of Amari Cooper? I think CD's way better than Amari Cooper, but I mean, I think no question he's going to be able to fill the shoes, just not right now. It's going to take time. I mean, he's really young. You have to, you know, see that. Amari Cooper was a really, he was a leader. I mean, he wasn't, it was never Ezekiel Elliott or Dak Prescott. It was mm-hmm. Amari Cooper. So losing him was pretty big for the Cowboys. Uh, I mean, I feel like, uh, I mean, like filling the shoes, I, I really don't think is like the right think is I mean obviously he can fill his shoes with CeeDee Lamb he's been amazing but it's more of finding that second person because the way they played off each other was just in a way of where 
you know, if one person was getting a lot of heat, then, you know, CeeDee Lamb can, okay, he can get a pass. Or if, you know, CeeDee Lamb is hot and during this drive, okay, then Amari Cooper's probably going to be a little more open. So um, CeeDee Lamb can definitely fill those shoes, but it's the it's the point of finding someone else that can fill, you know, CeeDee Lamb's role of that secondary person that mm-hmm. you can also rely on that's really good. And, again, I really don't know why they traded Amari Cooper besides, you know, financial issues. Another difficult – Goalie we found in this Dallas offense was their offensive line. And now Connor McGovern may miss time for Dallas with an ankle injury. Dallas has always been known for having a great offensive line, but lately, or at least during that game, they struggled to protect Dak Prescott. Is there any quick fixes this line can have to try to clean this up? I mean, I I don't really know the backups for the Cowboys. So, um, I mean, I think it's just experience. They need to tie together. Um, any NFL guy can, you know – get into the role of being a starter so um i mean i I really don't think that there's like a quick solution especially for offensive line like uh those are kind of like dime a dozen it's not something that you can just be like oh here's a great offensive lineman that we can just put in you know um so i mean again on top of only having one receiver that really can make plays Mm -hmm. uh your star quarterback getting injured and now your offensive line is hurt um it's just you know all these problems are piling up for the for the cowboys and i feel like the I mean, the offensive lineman issue with Connor McGovern, I think, is not – I mean, it's obviously a big thing. It's the offensive line, but um, it, I feel like they should try and focus on bigger things before they get to the offensive line, which, I mean, obviously focusing on offensive line. Right. But, um, you know, with the quarterback situation with, like you said, could be up until, you know, week 10, um, that's a big problem that needs to be fixed. The only guy I can come in here and – trying to make the offensive line better is Jason Peters, who we had signed during the offseason, a former Philadelphia Eagle. But he is already 40, so it's not like we have longevity with him. And how is he supposed to just come in this role? He could be a leader because he's been in the NFL for a while and guys look up to him. But just for him to try to come in and pretty much play all the roles, we also the Cowboys also lost Tyron Smith during the offseason. He is out for, if I'm not mistaken, the season. And that was a left tackle. And losing a left tackle, as we know it, in any team is always difficult, but it's especially been a difficult task for the Dallas Cowboys as Tyron Smith is an injury-prone left tackle. Talking about Ezekiel Elliott, as Liam has mentioned, and as Andre said that it was never Dak Prescott or Ezekiel Elliott who might have been leaders on the team, but rather Amari Cooper. Well, now with Dak out, Amari gone, how can it does Ezekiel Elliott have to fill this role as a leader, especially now that Dak Prescott won't be here for a few weeks? Yeah, he better or, you know, the Cowboys are just automatic. Just you might as well hang up the cleats this year because, you know, he, he's going to have to play a big role in, you know, being a leader. He's the most experienced guy on that team. I would say like just all – I think he's been there before Dak. He's been there before anyone they else. They were drafted the same year. Oh, the same year. Yes. So, I mean, that's that's big. He's He's got to be there. But if you remember, Tony Romo was the starting quarterback and Dak Prescott did not play, but Ezekiel Elliott was in the mix. So he yeah. has been he's an been active there. member of this yeah. team yeah. for a, a little longer. Yeah, so, I mean, he's going to have a huge leadership role with all those people gone. And But, you know, with how it can be, how inconsistent he can be at times, uh, I, I mean, I would be worried as a Cowboys fan, mm-hmm. you know, especially due to the O-line being banged up as well. It's going to be hard for, you know, for, for Zeke to lead this team anywhere good if he has no offensive line for – him to, you know, to block so they can actually get, you know, open, get an open space or, you know, make plays. And if the passing game isn't open, then it's going to be hard for him to run anyways because they know that's the only thing that's going to work. So um, he's going to have to try and be a leader. But with his inconsistent play, it's going to be really hard for him to do that. I so often say that Ezekiel Elliott is the Kyrie Irving of the NFL in terms of Kyrie Irving's a great player, but he just can't lead a team. So you need a leader there if you're going to have a team with Kyrie Irving. Similar to Ezekiel Elliott, except for the past few years, I haven't seen Zeke as the running back we've all expected him to be. And especially now with Dak he can't be a leader, and it's difficult to lead a team, and I don't see him as that guy. The one thing Zeke can do very well is block. That will be extremely helpful with our with the Cowboys' banged-up offensive line and a backup quarterback. But other than that, I don't know if he can rush through a defense like he used to. I don't know if he has the, the ability to just get – run down the field and score touchdowns if the quarterback can't get the job done. And now you have to rally an offense and try to say, guys, we still have to win games, even though we have a lot of changes from this offseason and especially after week one with the injuries that they had. The last question about the Cowboys versus the Buccaneers is, do they bother to go out and get a quarterback or is there just so many problems that I'm not saying tank, but you just try to win with the backups that you have? 
I think they're I think the Cowboys are just in a pretty deep hole right now. I think it's too late for them to go and get somebody. They don't even have the money to go get somebody. So I think I don't think they will win the NFC East this year just solely off of that. I mean, I thought they were going to be competitive, but now with Dak out, I think the this is the Eagles race to lead, like yeah. to lose. So, I mean, the, there's options. I mean, they could go, they can trade for Andy Dalton, you know, get him back on the squad. They could get you know, um, Huntley from, you know, the former Baltimore Raven. Um, or is he still on the team? Am I mistaken I think on he's that? still on the team. Okay, well, yeah, the, um, you know, Huntley uh, on the Ravens. So, I mean, there's options out there. But, you know, like Andre said, like, if they couldn't afford Amari, I mean, that doesn't mean they can't afford these people, but that means that they're strapped for money in some sort. So, um, you know, without a quarterback like that and with, with no real options, I feel like you should just uh, not necessarily tank, like we said, but – um, just try and win games the best you can and um, just weather the storm until uh, uh, Dak can come back. The 49ers did say they were open to listening to some trades that the Cowboys may put out there for Jimmy Garoppolo, but I really don't think it's worth it. You, As we all have discussed, there's just too many holes in this offense, in this team in general. The Cowboys just expected to be good in a sense I felt that Jerry Jones just expected to be good after getting rid of guys like Amari Cooper, knowing you're not going to have Michael Gallup back. And I would just stick with Cooper Rush. You have Will Greer, who you're probably going to bring back as he is on the practice squad right now, who could possibly start for this team. And you just, I'm not, again, not saying to tank, but you got to just try to win with the guys you have. And if you can't, I would get that draft pick, trade that draft pick, and try to just get some wide receivers, get some offensive linemen in the draft this season, and just call this a rebuilding year and let Dak heal. I don't want to rush Dak Prescott back. It would just be unfair to him after all the the struggles he's had with injuries over the years. The Cowboys did end up losing to the Buccaneers. As we discussed, 19-3, to the Cowboys were the only team in the NFL this week to not score a touchdown. And with that, Tom Brady stays undefeated against the Dallas Cowboys in his career. Let's talk about something a little bit more exciting as the LSU swimming and diving team will begin their season on Saturday at 10 or Saturday, September 17th at 10 a.m. with the Purple and Gold Intra Squad. That is similar to a scrimmage in football. They will have their first official meet against Tulane on September 23rd in the Natatorium beginning at noon. What should we expect from this swim team this year? Um, I feel like they'll be pretty good. You know, as you know, Brooks Curry, the, the gold medalist, will be returning for his uh, senior year. So, uh, I mean, with him on the team, I feel like the sky's the limit just because of how talented he is. And, you know, we have other people like uh, Spencer Adrian, our guest on the show. Uh, yes. Or a couple, you know, a week or two ago. So we have a lot of talent on this team, and I feel like we could uh, we could really do something in the SEC. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think with them getting a new coach is going to help. Um, and then, you know, they were kind of bottom tier of the SEC last year. I think they're going to be top top six teams this year that in the SEC. I mean, you have all these you all you have Brooks Curry, but you also have all these other people that are just you know not as good but they're only a little bit below him so mm-hmm. you know there's no reason why we shouldn't be competitive in the sec this year yes head coach rick bishop said that this should be an exciting season for them they're going against ncaa championships and olympic gold medalists so the challenge will be on they'll play auburn on october 27th so they do have some big sec games you have a revenge game against florida state some may say on january 7th and it's actually a makeup meet because in 2021 season 2022 they could not play Florida State due to the program's COVID issues. But it is exciting now that the LSU football team has lost to Florida State. So maybe we can get a revenge with the LSU swimming team. With that being said, Brooks Curry, he is such a huge asset for this team. He was selected to the USA national swimming team on September 9th. What do we expect to see from him this season? Um, I I mean, you're going to see just absolutely just spectacular swimming. He's one of the most talented uh, swimmers, you know, not only in at LSU, but you know, in the nation, you know, as you know, he went. If you win a gold medal in anything in the Olympics, you, you're pretty good at what you do. So, uh, you know, last year he he won. I think the first uh, individual uh, championship for the 50 free. Um, it, it was our first one since I believe 1988. He actually set a record there. Uh, I think an SEC record. So, um, you know, he he's just an absolutely terrific swimmer, and I feel like you know we should only you know see him get better. Which you know, see him seeing him get better is going to be crazy to see because how can you get better than what you already are right mm-hmm. now? Yeah, I agree. I think I think Brooks Curry is just going to be setting his own records this year. It's it's going to become a thing where he's gotten so good that he's just going to be breaking his own PR, you know, not week after week, but, you know, almost every week. Yeah. So uh, I think he just – I hope he brings that leadership to that team, you know, maybe, you know, teach them some stuff not only, but – 
you know, I think he's going to be the most dominant swimmer in the SEC. Just I mean, to rattle off, no just to rattle off a few of his accomplishments, he was SEC Male Freshman of the Year in 2020, All SEC Second Team in 2021. As Liam was saying, he holds holds the LSU Natatorium 50 free pool record at 1942. This is his senior season. Got to make it count. It's so exciting to be able to say that. Yes, the LSU swimming and diving team has an Olympic gold medalist, a part of their squad. And to talk about a very exciting game, and as Spencer Adrian mentioned, which you, you will hear in the moment, LSU will take on Alabama. LSU Swimming and Diving will take on Alabama November 4th at 1 p.m. in the LSU Natatorium. And then on Saturday, November 5th, the time is to be determined, LSU football will take on Alabama. How is exciting is it for both these programs, and what does this mean for LSU as they are hosting both of these I mean, you know, it's awesome just to, you know, just any LSU-Bama matchup in any sport is always like some kind of, it's always fired up. But, you know, it, it's cool that, you know, one day it's going to be, you know, swimming, which is an underappreciated sport yes. at, at here. And it, it really should get a lot more attention because, you know, these guys, not saying not that, you know, people think they're not athletes, but, you know, people, oh, yeah, it's football, it's basketball, whatever. But, you know, swimming and diving, it, it takes a lot of skill. And, you know, these guys should be appreciated for that. So, I hope that uh you know hope that we win that and then it would be awesome if we won that and then you know the next day come in to Tiger Stadium and you know beat Bama um <laughs> I, I know that that might be a long shot but you know anything could happen so yes. um I feel like it it would be a good way for you know for morale for both teams mm-hmm. so that'd be awesome yeah I think you're completely right Liam I think people under you know undersee the amount of training it takes to be a swimmer and diver I mean the amount of athleticism that you have to have your lungs have to be at the best shape they've always been and you have to keep them up you have to keep you know eating well you have to work out right you know but I mean for Bama to come both both of those teams in the weekend I think I I hope it's a bad weekend for them in my head I see LSU football have an amazing season going undefeated we take on Alabama college game day is here on Saturday morning and right after LSU swimming and diving beat them on Friday and then we go in to beat Alabama that would just be a dream and I'm just so excited to see that we can possibly get two wins against Alabama in one weekend with that we do have an interview with LSU swimmer Spencer Adrian he talks a little bit about his transferring process from the University of Denver over here to Baton Rouge and that we may see him on the LSU basketball team this season how are you doing today Spencer I'm doing very good thank you very much do you have anything to tell our listeners uh Go Tigers. <laughs> okay, that's great. Also joining us is Liam Haley. He is What's the up, newest y'all? addition to the sports team, and this is his first podcast. Yeah, I'm super excited, you know, to start doing podcasts. So looking to start off with a good one. Yes, we are so excited to jump in. This is our first interview of the semester, and we're excited to learn about you, Adrian. So jumping right into it, I'm going to start off like the strides that you made in high school, right? So in your 20... 20- or just actually, I want to start off with a little bit about you, rather. Okay. In 2019 2020 season, you won the 200 and 400 free relay. And then during the 2020, you won the Summit League Championship and you finished fourth in the 200 free. And then in, so you had a really great years there over at Denver. And then you decided to later transfer to LSU, which we'll get to that in a moment. But you also had a really impressive high school career where you won district champion, you won state championship, and a Northwest Regional Championship with the Dolphin Swim League, along with earning four varsity letters. Can you just discuss about the sports that you played in high school other than swimming and what made you decide that swimming is your passion? All right. Well, so I played a lot of sports growing up. Um, I played swimming, basketball, baseball, track, soccer, football. I, I played a lot of stuff growing up, um, and I ended up liking most of them, but ended up playing uh, baseball, basketball, and swimming the longest. And by the end of Little League, which was when I was 12 years old, decided, okay, maybe baseball is not the way I'm going to go. So down to basketball and swimming. And then when I had to go into high school, eighth grade, I was making the decision, um, Swimming and basketball are in the same season in Oregon. Mm. So I made the decision that swimming was where I was going to go because I figured I could probably go further with it. Um, And, you know, it's brought me here. So I'm super excited about that. And uh, I'm trying to walk onto the basketball team here at LSU, (laughs) actually. Yeah, I, I was actually just on the phone with the coach earlier today. Oh, 
wow. Um, that's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. So we'll have to have you on for basketball season as well. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I, he said, uh, you know, talk after uh, this swim season. This is my last swim season right. at LSU. Um, I've been swimming for 10 plus years wow. competitively. So at this point, I'm a little bit burned out with it. But I mean, I'm loving it right now. And I'm super excited about this season. But um, I'm just ready for a little change. And basketball was a passion I had growing up. And during COVID, uh, I kind of reignited that. Um, it was the only thing that was open uh, in, mm. in Portland. Everything was closed. Right. So um, I was able to play basketball and just got that going again. So, yeah, but just got this last swim season and then we'll see where it goes from there. That is so exciting. That is so amazing. I did not know that. So I always love learning new things. And especially that you could be a two-sport athlete in college. That's an achievement within itself. You played a ton of sports in high school, as you were mentioning. You won four varsity letters in high school. Did that help your transition from a college, from a high school, being a student, playing multiple sports, to becoming a college athlete where you might have a lot more work that entails with it, with the student-athlete part as well? Yeah, I'd say, um, I mean, my parents did a great job with just letting me do whatever I wanted. Um, so in high school, I was just swimming. Um, I swam for my club team, the Dolphins, and I had a really awesome coach who just, he was all about just building my character and the team's character and building like a family relationship. So um, it, it kind of instilled in me just hard work, dedication, doing what you love, and that's carried over until now. Um, swimming's just always been something I love, and so I, I don't really see it as a hard work necessarily. I mean, obviously, it's really hard, but mm -hmm. it, it's not something I don't enjoy doing, so it's easy to go every day, and, and that's that's paid off. So, so with that being said, did swimming being your passion, that was the reason that you decided to move 19 hours away from home from Oregon to Denver? Um, yeah, so... Uh, Going into college, um, I was looking mostly in California, um, and then out of the blue, I just figured out that Denver had a swim team, and my dad is from Colorado. Okay. Um, so I have family in Colorado, and it was it kind of felt like home to go there almost, outside of Oregon. So uh, I chose to go there um, based on uh, partially the coach that was there. Unfortunately, he was fired right before I got to oh. Denver, so ended up getting with a coach who didn't end up working out for me, but it's brought me here. So, Yeah, so I mean, I was just wondering, so uh, like you just said, you went to Denver University and you, you were on the swim team, so I was just wondering, you know, how or, or what perhaps uh, made you make the switch from Denver all the way down to LSU? And, you know, since you said in Denver you have family there, like what's the connection with LSU and like just can you get, go into that? Okay, so there, there's a story with this one. Uh, <laughs> okay. Is, that's all right? Go, yes, oh, yeah, of course. Completely. Okay, story time. Okay, so on Denver, um, first year was good. Um, I, I made improvements with everything, like all my times. Um, and then at the end of the year was COVID, my mm -hmm. freshman year. So March, I went home. I was in Portland until August. I drove back to college and... You know, we were having a good time. We started swimming again. Everything seemed all right. And, uh, you know, we were hanging out as a team. Um, there was one night we had a party, just the swimmers. Um, there was 38 of us there. There was a women's team captain who watched the party from outside the party, didn't come in, took notes, sent those notes to our coach. Our coach made a report to the athletic director that night. By the next day, we had a Zoom meeting with the coach, the athletic director, administration, told us, first of all, you all are in quarantine for going to this party. Mm -hmm. um, and second, after this, uh, about a week went by, uh, me and these 38 other people were suspended from the swim team for the rest of the semester. And the people who hosted, the six of them were kicked off the swim team and suspended from school for the rest of the year. Wow. So that is crazy. I, I figured I did not want to swim for that team anymore, and so did the rest of the men's swim team, basically. Uh, at one point, there were eight people swimming for the team because oh everyone was either off the team or 
in quarantine for a long time. Um, so the men's team went from about 25 people, a top 15 program in the country, mm-hmm. to now they're not even winning their conference, which is not very good. So you mentioned that a new coaching staff came in. Did you foresee a little bit of any of this? I know it was hard because COVID, nobody foresaw that, but did you see that he was a harsher coach, you can say, who was willing to make those suspensions? And maybe what I'm getting at is that he might not care about you all and kind of said that I can find replacements if I need to. Did you feel that? Um, first of all, it was she, uh, she Alicia Franklin. Um, I did not see that this would become an issue. Um, she had told us basically that I just don't want to hear about what you guys are doing. And it was a women's team captain who made this decision and got us all in trouble. So would you say that was a setup? I don't know if it was a setup, but I would say that Denver definitely tried to make an example out of the swim team, which was not very cool. Right. So you think that this was the school and then they, they almost saw you as an easy target. Yeah. The swim team is pretty much seen as expendable on a lot of teams on a lot at a lot of schools. Um, the swim team doesn't make any money. Uh, it's, Mm -hmm. You know, there, there are very few sports that do make money, football, basketball, um, at LSU, gymnastics. Um, but swimming doesn't make money, so it, it's easy for them to say, you know what, you guys are out of here. You're, you're not representing this school well in, in their eyes, mm-hmm. and you're out of here. So then you made the decision to come to LSU, and how did that happen? How did you get in contact with us, and how did you feel comfortable knowing that hopefully a situation like that would not reoccur here? Well, so the way I came to LSU was uh, after that whole situation at Denver. Um, I left, went back home, and put myself in the transfer portal. Um, Started talking to a bunch of different coaches, um, LSU, TCU, SMU, uh, Purdue, Wisconsin, uh, all over the country. Um, I, I figured I didn't want to be in a, a, like, a similar situation mm-hmm. to Denver, right? So I was figuring the South would probably be a good way to go. Right. Um, and LSU was interested from the start. Um, the coach that was here at the time, Steve Meller, he was very interested and he was honestly, he, he told me I would have money when I came here. He told me that I'd be on the relays right away. So I would have a very good spot on the team. And I ended up just getting one of the other swimmers contacts and was texting with them. I said, you know what, I'm going to come down for a weekend just to see like, hey, you know, can I live in Louisiana? Because <laughs> I'd never been to Louisiana right. before. Yeah, it's a tough switch. I, yeah, I, I'd been to Texas one time. That that was the only experience of the South I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. And came down here for a weekend. I was like, you know what? I, I think I can be here for a couple of years. So just made the decision. And, you know, a, a month later I came here. So it was a quick transition, but it was good. And with that, a new coach did eventually come in with Rick Bishop. So did you feel that, you, were you worried because of your past experiences or was he able to provide that level of comfort? I was definitely worried at first. Um, After my first season here at LSU, um, I went back home for the summer and I got a call from one of my buddies and he was like, "Uh, hey, (laughs) uh, Steve's gone and Dave's gone. Or he said Dave's gone and the new coaching staff would rehire who they Mm -hmm. wanted to. And, you know, that kind of freaked me out. But once we heard that it was Rick Bishop um, I read about him. Uh, he was at Michigan, uh, the associate head coach there, he, head coach for the women's team, had great success on international competitions, NCAA champions. So that instilled a lot of confidence for me, for sure. And uh, as soon as I met him, I, I knew he would be a good guy and an awesome coach. So it's turned out really well. I love to hear that, especially as a fan, knowing that there's coaches that are representing this school and our teams well. Mm -hmm. And speaking of you representing our team, that your junior season was a pretty good one. You had your first meet against Grand Canyon, and you were in four different events. You were in the 200-yard medley relay, the 200-yard freestyle, the 100-yard and 400-yard freestyle relay. How is that on your body after participating in those four events? Are you well-conditioned, or what do you do to recover after? 
Um, I mean, I, I was definitely in a fatigued state going into the meet, so that wasn't uh, the best on my body, I'd say, but that comes with all dual meets um, in swimming. Uh, you basically train through most meets until your mid-season championship and your SEC championship, which is what we have. Um, so I, I was already pretty tired going in, but that was a meet that we were pretty excited for. I had a couple friends on Grand Canyon, so I was excited to see them. And uh, yeah, that, that last relay, um, the 400 free relay, uh, they put me on the B relay rather than the A. Okay. Um, cause I hadn't been swimming great that day mm -hmm. it, for, for me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I ended up stepping up pretty well and had a, a great race. So that kind of set me up for the rest of the year. So uh, I was just wondering, you, we talked earlier about how, you know, you moved, uh, all the way to Denver, but you had family there and then you moved all the way down to LSU. So personally, you know, I, I moved four hours down to LSU and I thought that was a lot, you know? <laughs> so I'm just wondering what was the biggest challenge that you faced outside of swimming or outside of your sports, uh, when you first came to LSU? I, it was definitely a big transition. Uh, I didn't know anybody here, uh, going to Denver. It, it was very comfortable. I knew quite a few people on the swim team. Um, and coming to LSU, it was definitely a culture shock. One, uh, food's different, mm -hmm. weather's different, the people are different. So I, I basically just had to figure everything out on my own. And I, it just kind of helped me get out of my comfort zone. And I think it's helped me grow into the person I am today. I can definitely relate to that. I am from New Jersey. So coming down here last year was a huge culture shock for me and especially the heat. I wasn't totally aware of that. I should have reminded myself of that, but it's still something I'm getting a little used to. Uh, and also, so we were, we talked about, you know, uh, your last meet or the meet in, against Grand Canyon and uh, Patricia mentioned uh, your events, you know, with a freestyle uh, freestyle sprint. And I was just wondering how did, you know, out of all the different, because I know there's many different, you know, things in swimming that you can do. Uh, like, how uh, did you choose that one out of all the ones that are out there? How did I choose sprint freestyle? Yeah. Um, well, in high school, I swam backstroke and butterfly as well. Um, but going into college, uh, kind of had to pick one. A, a lot of people do have multiple events, but for me, freestyle was definitely my strongest. And, um, I, I just kind of started focusing on freestyle at Denver, just doing at, at Denver. I was in the sprint group. They had me doing mostly 50 and hundred and 200 was kind of the extra one. Mm -hmm. And then now it's kind of transitioned with Rick to doing the 100 and 200 as my strong suits and 50 is kind of the third race. But um, this summer I did swim 100 backstroke and went oh, a best wow. time. So nice. that was, what was pretty your time. Fun. Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I went uh, 59.9 in, nice. in the, uh, the like Olympic size pool. Um, wow. So that, that was pretty exciting for me. What I found interesting about you is that some of your best times or top times rather were in the SEC championship last year with the 50 free at 2026, the 100 free at 4391, and then the 200 free at 136.38. What is it about that championship meet? Do you work well under pressure or do you just know that you have to go out there, you have a job to do and you want to get it accomplished? Well, in the past, I would say I usually had gotten pretty nervous at big meets and with Rick's coaching and uh, Lyle Robolo, uh, those, those are my two main coaches. Mm -hmm. um, they they kind of had me swimming a lot more this year. Um, I was swimming more yards and the training was a lot harder. So going into that meet, I really just had so much confidence. Uh, I, I knew that I was going to swim fast. I didn't really care about the times. Um, in training, I usually care about what my times are, but uh, after I, I had struggled in October of last year, I had almost quit swimming. Um, I was really not feeling it. I kept injuring my shoulders, left shoulder, right shoulder. Didn't really matter, but um, I just wasn't really feeling it anymore. And went back home over Christmas break talked to my family, talked to my old coach. And something that really stuck with me was just don't hold on to the little things. Just mm -hmm. kind of, you know, put in your best effort and that's all you can do. So coming back after Christmas break, I just started trying the hardest I could and didn't really care about times. 
So going into SECs, I just felt super confident with what I was doing and it ended up paying off. I love that. And this season, the LSU swimming diving team will have their first meet on September 17th with the purple and gold intrust squad. So what personal goals are you setting for yourself this year and what team goals are you setting? Uh, personal goals. Um, I, I would like to be on the A relays at the end of the year and team goals. I want to get a relay to the national championship. So really it, it's getting to the national championship at the end of the year. That That's my big goal. Love that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was just wondering, uh, like, what would you say is like the biggest challenge that swimmers would do with the sprint freestyle, uh, like face, you know, while they're swimming? Because obviously we talked about the just struggles outside of the sports, but specifically when you're doing that event, what would you say is like the biggest like challenge that you face? The biggest challenge I'd say is uh, there's so many different body types in swimming. Um, for example, uh, Brooks Curry, right? Um, he's, you know, not on the bigger side, he's tall, but he's not like the most muscular. You look at other people in freestyles who swim the hunter free and a lot of them are very strong. You can see they're big Brooks. He's very strong, but he doesn't have the muscle, uh, you know, density Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, so everyone is different. Some people can swim very fast for short periods. Some people can swim faster over long periods. So just figuring out the technique that works for you is the hard part because there's so many different people you can look at. And I obviously try to look at Brooks because he's the best example Mm -hmm. on LSU to look at. He's far and beyond the best (laughs) on the team. Um, Awesome guy. He's my roommate actually. Oh, awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Um, the most humble person you'd ever meet. But. Love to see that. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. Yeah, that's so important in sports. But talking about how you know the opponents that you're going to have to face off against, you do have some SEC favorites like Vanderbilt and Alabama and Auburn, and you even play Tulane this year. So what team are you most excited to compete against? Alabama. Why? Alabama is a good swim team. They um, got second. They tied for second at SECs last year. And when we had our dual meet against them at Alabama last year, we competed very well against them. We had a very good day. There were a couple great individual performances on our team and ended up making Alabama pretty nervous towards the end of the meet. They readjusted their relays at the end, and we ended up losing the meet to them by just a little bit. But the fact that LSU made Alabama nervous was pretty awesome. So coming back this year, they're against us here. The next day is the Alabama football game, LSU Alabama football game. So it, it's just going to be an exciting time, and we're ready to go for that one. That is so exciting. That is so awesome. I cannot wait for that. We're going to have Bama football here and Bama swing. Oh, that's going to be awesome. I'm definitely going to have to attend both. So er, earlier you talked about how your your mindset has like shifted, you know, like it went from caring about the times and being super like into that and to just not caring and just, you know, going into it just head first. Um, so I'm just wondering, um, like, is, is that always been your mindset since then? And, you know, how does that affect your swimming? And like, do you tell your other teammates, you know, to think that way so that they don't, you know, get in their own heads? Yeah. Um, Brooks was part of the reason that I shifted my mind towards that as well. Um I was I was talking to him and he said, "Yeah, I just don't care, you know." He obviously he does care, but he he doesn't think about that. He just goes out there and swims. So, ever since that, I I'm just trying my hardest to put in my best effort and just think about my personal goal to swim faster and our team goal to make it to the national championship by the end of the year. So, uh, coach Rick, we had a meeting on Wednesday this week and he was talking about finding our why, like, why do we swim? Why, why do we come into practice at 6am swim for two hours, come in in the afternoon, swim for another two hours. And for me, it's because of the people I'm with and because I want to get better every day. And the only way I can do that is putting in my best effort. So that is so important. Every time I do hear a lot about athletes, 
almost losing their competitive edge because of the pressure that is on them. And oftentimes I love when coaches or their teammates remind them, remember why you started playing that sport or what, what made you love that sport? And you have to go back to when you were a kid and you did it for fun. I think that is such such a big part of made, continuing to play this sport, especially at a collegiate level. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, head coach, your head coach, Rick Bishop, said that this year's schedule allows the team to compete against some of the greatest, like NCAA championships, but also Olympic athletes. How do you prepare yourself knowing that you're going to go up against some of the best in the world, like an Olympic athlete? I can only do what I can do. Swimming's an individual sport, and you swim one person in your lane at a time, and I can only control myself. So I, I swim every day. I know what I can do, and if somebody else – happens to beat me on that day then I'll try my hardest to beat them the next time and that's really all I can do so I was just wondering um you know you've been swimming ever since high school and you obviously excelled at swimming in high school because you know you had D1 school um but I was just wondering you know when was it do you think that it clicked that you could you know do something with swimming because obviously you know for a lot of athletes you know early on in the career you know they have that moment where they think oh I can actually you know go somewhere do something with this sport so I was just wondering do you have like a specific moment, like a story where like you realized, oh, I'm a lot better than a lot of the people that I'm with and you realize you can take this as far as you, you know, as you can do it? The first time I really had a breakthrough in swimming, it, it was either when I was 11 or 12 years old. I'm not exactly sure, but it was uh, the regional swim meet in Federal Way, Washington. And I was racing a couple people who are now uh, very fast Um Casper Corbeau swims for Texas. He's on the national team for the Netherlands. Um, this other guy, Ethan Dang, swims for Stanford. And we were swimming the 50 freestyle at this meet. It's a meet against, I think, seven states in the wow. Pacific Northwest region. And I won that at 11, 12 years old, whatever it was. And that was a pretty exciting moment for me. My Coach at the time, I mean, he he was awesome, Alejandro Contreras. Um, he just put this hard work mentality in my head and determination, and it came to fruition in that moment. And from there, I figured swimming would be, you know, a really good place for me, something that I could do for a while. And then going into high school, trying to decide between swimming and basketball. I, I had always felt that swimming was my better sport. So swimming was the way I decided to go. All right. Uh, also, it, earlier you talked about, you know, uh, potentially walking on for the basketball team. And I was just wondering, how, how does it feel, you know, from back in high school having to make that tough decision between two sports that you love and then coming here and then having the opportunity to, to play that sport again? I'm just wondering, you know, how you're feeling about that. It feels pretty full circle to me. <laughs> exactly. I, so, uh, basketball was the only thing I could do over COVID, and it, it was just kind of an escape almost. You know, you, you couldn't really see anybody. Uh, the basketball courts were just, you know, walking distance from my house. So I'd just walk over there with my basketball and go and shoot around. And, you know, it, it kind of got me excited. When I got to LSU, uh, my roommate was Brandon Egamo. Uh, okay. he, he's mm-hmm. on the basketball team, and you know he he's a preferred walk-on. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, I, he didn't tell me like, "Oh, you should do this," but mm-hmm. you know, I felt like you know he does this. Mm-hmm. I, what if I did that? Right. You know? So it kind of got me excited. My last question for you today is: I love that. I love that full circle moment. But you did mention that this was your last year as a swimmer, at least at the collegiate level. So what are your plans for the future? And would you ever want to possibly coach? Well, I have coached in the past. Okay. Um, so coaching could be something that I did in the future. I, I don't know if I'd make it my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I coached all throughout high school. Um, I was a volunteer coach for my middle school team. And I coached the 10 and under, 12 and under age group for my uh, club team. Um, a small group over there. And I had a couple state champions in the one and a half years that I was there. So that was, you know, obviously very exciting for me and for them. Um, just putting the knowledge that I had and giving it to them. 
Um, I, I really like working with kids, so coaching is awesome. But in terms of what I am planning on doing in the future, um, I'm a construction management major here. Okay. Um, I had an internship uh, last summer uh, with Mill Creek Residential. Um, they build mid to high rise apartment buildings. Um, mm -hmm. And this summer I had a internship uh, here in Baton Rouge with a real estate company. So kind of just getting multiple different options. Um, I'm not exactly sure what I want to do in the future, but as of right now, I do think I will work in, uh, at, at Mill Creek, um, hopefully in Denver. Mm -hmm. Um, the connection that I had with that company was through my dad. Uh, there, they swim together in the morning. Uh, my dad used to be a swimmer, so mm -hmm. that that's how I, I got into it. But, um, I, I saw him one morning and I was like, Hey Jeff, like, what would you think about me working in Denver after college at Mill Creek? I, I hear you're the branch manager there as well as here in Portland. He was like, yeah, like sounds awesome. So I uh, really a easy job interview. So networking is key. Net networking is good. And I I've definitely gotten to learn that coming to LSU has definitely helped me with the networking skills, but, um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that opportunity. Um, don't know when I'd be starting that. Uh, if I took a fifth year here to play basketball, then I'd try to get a master's degree. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that'd take a year or two. Haven't really looked into it a whole lot. Um, and then, I don't know, I, I'm still 21 years old. I don't mm -hmm. know how much I want to jump right into work. <laughs> right. So exactly. If I can delay that as much as possible, <laughs> making money, possibly traveling or something, I don't know. Do, do something in the meantime and then find my way in Denver probably. Well, that is so exciting. We wish you the best of luck in all of your future Ember doors, and especially this season with probably your last season here on the LSU swimming and diving team. And thank you for joining us. It's been so much fun talking to you. Again, wishing you a great season. This has been the Hodges Huddle Podcast with Liam Haley, Patricia Caputo, and our special guest today, Spencer Adrian. Thank you.